This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey folks, we've got a bike episode for you today. The wheels on the bike go round and round, but only as fast as we can pedal them. So today we've got 20 bike training tips to help you with all that cycling. I'm joined today by Tridot's very own Matt Bach. Matt is an accomplished athlete with an Ironman Maryland victory and 72nd overall finish in Kona on his resume. He worked on Wall Street as a trader and portfolio manager for nine years, earned his MBA from Temple University, and worked in marketing at UCAN for two and a half years before coming on board to lead TriDot's marketing efforts. How's it going, Matt? Great. Love being on. Next up is Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's athlete services, ambassador, and coaching programs. He's coached hundreds of athletes, ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John, what's up, friend? Looking forward to a good episode. I love biking. I love uh, cycling. It's my thing, so I'm getting to do my jam on this one. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll approach the show like any other workout. We'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Starting the show off with a little math today, the golden equation of owning bikes is famously N plus one, where N is the number of bikes you currently own and the resulting answer being the amount of bikes you need. The point, of course, is that no matter how many bikes you have in your arsenal, you always need one more. So Matt, John, since I'm sure all three of us would agree with uh, this particular math equation, and we do all indeed need one more bike, if you were purchasing your next bike today, what would you add to your collection? Matt Bach, let's go to you. Yeah, and I, I love that. And that, the first uh, thing I want to add is that there's an addition to that equation that I've heard from, really? from other folks, and that is S minus one. So that is one of the constraints there. And that's because it's the number of bikes cannot exceed that which your spouse will leave you. Ah. So it's S minus one. So there's a constraint there on, on the upper so, limit. So S equals that. the amount where your spouse is gone. Yeah. So, so you got to stay, make sure you stay just N one plus below one that. As yeah. long as N is less than So, so if, if my wife draws the line in the sand at 20 bikes, yeah. and that's that's my S is, is 21 minus one. Exactly. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, the bike that I would add is a mountain bike because I've okay. never really had a good quality mountain bike. I just had the little, you know, Huffies that I had when I was growing up just to ride around the neighborhood. But there are some amazing mountain bikes out there now. There sure are. Yeah. And I mean, mountain biking trails, and I've got a couple of buddies close by. Uh, I live in New Jersey, so we don't have amazing mountain biking trails, but we've got some pretty good ones. And, okay. and I've got a couple of buddies that live nearby that go out riding all the time, and I'm just completely lost from that because I don't have a mountain bike. Okay. Yeah. Well, sounds sounds like uh, you have a conversation with your wife to be had about uh, <laughs> right. is ha- have you exceeded your S yet, <laughs> and uh, can you add one? Uh, Coach John Mayfield, what what would you look to add right now? 
this kind of hurts um, because I've actually been trying to buy a bike uh, for the past seven or eight months. Um, bikes are notoriously backordered right now. There's all sorts of multiple issues that are preventing uh, bikes from to getting from to the consumer. Uh, so I've, I've been waiting for uh, about nine months now for, for my new bike. Um, old faithful keeps going. She's, she performs, but not like your, she your, used your to specialized TT bike. She doesn't yeah. turn anymore. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to the point now where it's a head tube rusted shut. Like what, totally, what happened? Totally seized <laughs> up. But you know, like I said, it, it gets looser the more I ride. So during a ride it, it, yeah. but I actually need a new bike. So like, um, so I, I am looking forward to that, but, uh, man, I've, I've not done it, but I heard all about the gravel craze, so I feel like I'm missing out something there. So maybe if I ever get to be on my N plus two, it would be my my new time trial bike and then a, uh, a gravel, a gravel bike. gravel bike shortly after. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I know uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, gravel's really caught on. Um, I, I don't have one yet for, for me. So I, I've got the, the tri bike, I've got the road bike, and what I really want to get next um, is, and so my road bike I've, I've said in the podcast before is a Bianchi Aria. Um, and, and so I love Bianchi. I love just the, the, the Italian nostalgia of it. I love the, the Celeste old school color palette. Um, it, it's just, it's just a, a great tradition in the cycling world. And so my, my road bike is a Bianchi and I would love to get my wife and I, his and her Bianchi C-Sport city fitness bikes. And so that is their model that is made for riding <laughs> around answer. town. I think uh, you may have just raised your S. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, because it's, it's, it's no longer M plus one in this equation, it's M plus two, so uh -huh. that she also has one, because the point of this bike is to ride together. Um, the, the, where, where we live, the, there's some great um, kind of city park trails nearby, um, the, there's some great restaurant strips nearby that we can bike to, um, and so I, I would love for us to have uh, just kind of those city commuter bikes to, to take us uh, to those places, and, and just as a, as a cycling snob who loves my Bianchi, uh, I, I would love for those uh, city bikes to be Bianchi ones. So that's, that's my particular choice. So, Hey, I, I know everyone listens to the podcast. You are not listening to this podcast unless you love your bike and, and chances are you, you would like another one. So we're going to throw this question out on the I am Trot Facebook group. Make sure you're a member of that group, whether you train with Trot or not. Uh, you listen to this podcast, you're part of the family, go join that group and find the post asking this question. If you were adding a new bike to your stable, what would it be? Can't wait to see what you guys have to say. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. We recently had sports scientist Andy Blow from Precision Hydration on the show and learned that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to hydration because everyone loses a different amount of salt in their sweat. As someone who sweats a lot, I wanted to get a better understanding of how much salt I lose in my sweat so I took their online sweat test, and after taking the test, I received a personalized hydration plan and was recommended their strongest electrolyte drink, PH 1500, which is three times stronger than most sports drinks out there. It's been a game changer for me, particularly in hot conditions. If you've ever struggled with hydration issues like dehydration or cramping during long and hot sessions, it's worth checking out precisionhydration.com. You can take their free online sweat test and find out which pH strength matches how you sweat and then get 10% off your order with the code TRIDOT10. To learn more, you can even book a free 20-minute video consultation with them to ask any questions you have about hydration and fueling or even to discuss your own strategy for an upcoming race. So again, that's precisionhydration.com and use the coupon code TRIDOT10 to get 10% off your electrolytes and fuel. 
The bike leg of a triathlon holds a majority of the mileage and time that we will spend on the course, making it crucial for us to train this discipline well. Whether you're an Uber biker, pretty okay at bikes, or a weaker cyclist, we all would love to raise our watts and lower our time on race day. And today's training tips can help us do just that. Now, for this episode, I, I consulted with a lot of the, the coaches in the Trotout family uh, to gather as many helpful bike training tips as we could. We've got 20 of them today, so excited to rip through these with Matt and John. So, Matt Bach, what is our first bike training tip for today's episode? Get a new bike. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> bikes make people happy. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the proper number of bikes, as you just mentioned, is N plus one. So, of course. Uh, get a new bike. Uh, that's sort of half joking. I mean, if it's within your means uh, or you have the... Do we need to continue or is that just it? Like, do the 19, do they matter? Or? This, uh, that, this really episode became it. a bike uh, bike uh, purchasing episode. So, yeah, go, uh, <laughs> go 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 try to buy a bike like John Mayfield is right now. But, <laughs> Good uh, luck. But no, but, but, but seriously, I, I think a great a great point to, here to be made is, is you can be a triathlete with whatever bike you have. You, mm-hmm. you really can. I mean, a lot of us, uh, Matt, you mentioned you started on a steel bike, right? Yep. Yeah, my first bike, my first triathlon was a 1980s. I don't remember the exact year. It was my dad's bike. It was a Peugeot. It was steel. Must have been, I mean, it got had to be at least 30 pounds. Yeah. And it had those little shifters on the top the top tube, right? Where so okay. it was going to reach down. <laughs> Man, that was, uh, it was tricky. I just kept it in the same gear the whole time. And luckily I could because it was on the Jersey Shore. It was nice and flat. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you could use any bike you, you need. Right after that, I noticed I love triathlon. So I went out and I bought a road bike. But. Yeah. And Matt, that, that's actually what I recommend a lot of my friends do is if they're trying to get started in a sport, I mean, start with every bike you can get on. And, and then from there, if you like the sport and you can kind of save up the money, you know, at that point, purchase whatever bike uh, you, you can kind of afford to get into. Yeah, definitely. And so the, I mean, get a new bike is like, I, I mean, I'm sort of serious, but I'm, I'm half joking as well. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to, uh, obviously. And they're, they're first, so the first real tip is get fit on that bike. Get a yes. bike fit. Oh, thank you for saying that. It is. I, yeah, I felt like that had to be the first one that I, mm. that I mentioned, the first real one that I mentioned, because it's such a key thing. And it's if you're going to invest in the sport, in yourself, in your enjoyment of the sport, then a bike fit is crucial for that. And there's really three main things that a bike fit's going to do for you. It's optimizing your power your aerodynamics, and your comfort. So if you're going to be doing something like, and this is what the bike fitter will do with you, uh, a trained bike fitter will help you to find that optimal right thing, right? You don't want to just maximize your aerodynamics because then you might be horribly uncomfortable. And especially if you're doing something like an Ironman, a really long race, I mean, you're, or, or you're a century rider, uh, you know, you're going to have a tough time holding that position the whole time. And if when you get off, you're probably going to have a tough time running off the bike. So yeah. you, you need to have some level of comfort as well, but you don't want to maximize your comfort because then you're probably going to be like a sail sitting up. You're not going to be very aerodynamic. Yeah. Um, so you want to take those three things. You don't want to maximize your power either because you're also, again, going to be kind of sitting up. That's where you're, you're most powerful. Uh, so you want to optimize, and the bike fitter will help you to do that, to optimize, okay, what race are you doing? Are you doing an Ironman that's hilly where maybe you can afford to sit up a little bit more uh, for the comfort aspect of it? Or are you doing USAT Nationals and you're racing the sprint and Olympic distance and you can afford to be fairly uncomfortable because you're not going to be uncomfortable for that long and output a lot of power, but really optimize and maximize almost your aerodynamics. Uh, so the bike fitter will help you do that, but it's just crucial no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing sprints or Olympics or, you know, uh, Ironman distance stuff or, or you're slow or you're fast. It's, it's very, very critical to get a bike fit. It is great that this is number one. This is one of the hotbed issues I've talked about on other podcasts. So it's great to have another voice hmm. uh, championing the the bike fit. And and you followed up with the the right things too, Andrew. With with it needs to be periodic. 
And I'll say this too, that it needs to be someone that understands the triathlon fit. Yes, uh, there absolutely. are, you know, we, we are the minority. I don't know where maybe one in 10 bikes sold as a triathlon bike, as opposed to a road cycling bike and a fitter that may be fantastic at, uh, at fitting road cyclist, uh, may or may not have the expertise and the nuances to fit a triathlete. So make sure that you may have the greatest fitter in the world, but if they don't understand the, the unique needs of triathlon, they're not going to fit you properly. So, so check that out. Make sure they understand the the unique nuances of triathlon riding. I, I think a lot of new triathletes. I think a lot of sprinters and Olympicers. Um, I think a lot of folks who who are just intermediate, you know, average age groupers like myself uh, view the bike fit as a splurge, not a necessity. And all three of us are sitting here telling you it's Absolutely. not it's not a splurge. It mm-hmm. is a necessity, uh, regardless of what you're ra- uh, training and racing for. So. Um, let's, let's shift our way to, uh, shift a little bike lingo, uh, tip number two, uh, John Mayfield, what is bike training tip number two? Learn how to change a flat. This Mm. is, this is like one-on-one type, uh, stuff. Um, it's, it's critical to know both in training and racing. Um, so, and it's a pretty easy skill to practice, to be honest. It really is. And it's one of those things, once you learn how to do it, you can proficient in doing, you can do it quicker. So especially worst case scenario, if you're in a race and you flat, you know, you can get it done in a matter of minutes as opposed to spending copious amounts of time on the side of the road waiting for support. Um, so it's really important. It's really a safety thing as well. And there are a lot of things, even in that, uh, to be cognizant of where you are, where's the traffic, do what you can to remove yourself away from the traffic, find yeah. a safe place um, to to change the flat. And then, again, know what to do. Make sure you've got plenty of gear with you. Um, I always have a minimum of two tubes. And if you got two tubes, you got to have two CO2s or a pump. Um, we've been out there on those rides before where we got tubes and no CO2s and yeah, you can't blow them up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, a great tip for there is, um, dollar bills make excellent, uh, patches. Interesting. Uh, So if you get a gash in the tire that blows out the tube, um, a dollar bill has that, that fiber in it that it's not just paper. It's, it's almost a a material um, that is, uh, will prevent the, so if you have a gash in the tire and the tube is, is sticking through that hole in the tire, uh, just fold up the bill and, uh, that it works as a great patch. Um, I've, I've had tires where I took it off, went to replace the tire and even know, uh, had no idea how long that dollar bill had been in there, but I take it, take the Uh tire off and all of a sudden there's (laughs) money falling out. So it's kind of like a savings plan. Um, and then, you know, you get to help you save for that new bike. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, you get to the gas station, you need hydration. Uh, it works for that as well. So I have used that tip, that tip before the dollar bill. I've never heard that one successfully. Yeah. Interesting. One thing, one thing to add here though, is that, you know, trends have changed and things have changed in the space with tires. So, um, sometimes people aren't riding clinchers, but Mm -hmm. the, the point here is really make sure that you know, either how to change a flat or how to just handle if your tires yes. messed yeah. up in some Now rope tubeless yeah. is becoming more popular um, amongst triathletes in particular. Um, so yeah, know, know what your system is and know how to do it. Bike shops are more than happy to help you learn these kinds of things. Don't be intimidated by your local bike shop. They're, they're a great resource to help. Obviously, YouTube videos can help you as well. Learn how to do this. Um, and also, quick, quick side note slash shout out. Uh, John, that was a fantastic use of the word copious uh, as you were presenting that tip. So uh, kudos to you for that. Word of the day, copious. Um, Number three, Matt Bach, what is uh, tip number three for us today? Yeah, practice riding an arrow. So your neck muscles in particular need to get used, get, need to get used to it. Um, it doesn't matter how fast your bike helmet wheels are if you're sitting up. You're like a sail if you're sitting up. So the rider position is the biggest factor in aerodynamics. And so if you're sitting up and you're not in arrow, even though you have a tri bike and you have the fast wheels and the fast helmet and all these things, it's not really doing you much good. So you need to really practice in your training 
riding in arrow, especially on those longer rides when you have a chance to be down in arrow for let's say three, four hours at a time. Uh, in your you have to, like, note that in your races, if you're doing something like Ironman Florida, Ironman Arizona, um, Ironman Maryland, one of the flat bike courses, you're going to be down in arrow probably 98% of the time, you or you should be. be. You yeah. should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people aren't, especially because once they get to mile 60, 70, 80, their neck is bothering them, their back is bothering them, and, and they can't hold arrow for that long. Yeah. So it's critical to be able to be down in arrow for that long period of time. Even if you're on a hilly course like a Placid or a Wisconsin or something, you're still going to be in arrow most of the time, 85% of the time, or you should be. That's why we pay for the M plus one fancy tri bikes is you don't, you don't buy that bike to not be in arrow as, as often and as much as you can be. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of like a good rule of thumb where if you're looking, um, if you're going about 15 miles an hour or less, let's say you're on a pretty you know steep climb or something, then it's okay to not be in arrow because you can generate power more effectively. You can give your back a break and you can get out of arrow because you're not getting much of a penalty from sitting up like a sail. But if you're on doing anything above 15 ish miles an hour, I mean, you should definitely be down an arrow because it's going to start impacting on, a, on an exponential basis, uh, especially obviously if you're on the pointy end and you're, you're averaging 20 something, 25 miles an hour. I mean, you're going to ex- have a huge aerodynamic penalty if you're sitting up really at all. You're going to be down an arrow the whole time. A, a very interesting RaceX uh, functionality that kind of goes hand in hand with that. You can actually, in your RaceX settings, uh, as it's optimizing your, your race plan for race day, um, that you can tell RaceX at what speed you're going to be out of arrow and up either in the drops or on, on the, 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 the base, the base bars, um, and out of arrow. Um, and so if that's 15 miles an hour and then there's a default value in there, but if you know in your head, okay, I, I don't break arrow until 12 miles an hour or 17 miles an hour. Um, you can actually program that into RaceX and it will further, it'll consider that in its optimization for you. And, and same thing on, on the descents. You can tell RaceX at what speed you are no longer pedal- pedaling. Um, you know, I, I know for me, I, I've had some descents where I, once I get into 34, 35, 36 miles an hour, I'm not pedaling anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm just hanging on until I get to the, the bottom of the descent at that point. Uh, and for, for a more experienced cyclist, I imagine that's a higher speed. Uh, obviously, you see the Tour de France guys are, are pedaling downhill and they're going 60 miles an hour. Um, at 37, I'm hanging on for dear life. And, and so you can program that into RaceX and it's going to add that into your race day optimization and times. So total side nugget there. That's not one of the tips for today. But while you're talking about that, thought I'd throw it out there. Um, but 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 yeah, I mean, the, the Tridot Stamina rides, the, the Tridot Long rides, the Tridot Saturday rides, uh, uh, anytime you go outside for a session, uh, it, it's a great time to hold arrow as long as you can to, to practice being in that position. Uh, because when race day comes, you want to be in that position as, as much as and often as you can. But I think it, it dovetails right into it. So speaking of tip four is working on bike handling so that you can descend and mm. Mm. nailed it. So tip number four is, is this work on your bike handling. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, for, for me, if, if I worked on descending, uh, maybe I, I could increase that speed to, to in the forties miles per hour that I feel comfortable still continuing the pedal, uh, you know, but, but work on your handling, work on your cornering. Um, there, there's a lot of time to be saved on race day. Um, if you're used to, to really judging the corners well and holding speed through the corners well, um, that, that, that's free time. That's free speed without doing any more training, without, without increasing your level of fitness. Uh, the more confident you are on the bike, the more confident you are, you are in, the, in your handling, the, the better you're, you're going to be able to, to, to start out of T1, the better and smoother you're going to be able to come into T2, uh, the, the smoother you're going to be able to go through those aid stations and grab bottles and, 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 um, 
you know, grab your water bottle and, and your nutrition while you're mid mid ride. All of those are learned skills that while you're out riding, uh, the more you do it, the better. Uh, when we work, when we work with youth and junior athletes, you know, we, we make them, uh, Hey, if, if you're really comfortable taking that water bottle with your right hand on today's ride, don't touch it with your right hand, do everything with your left. Cause the more you do it, the better you get with that non-dominant hand and the better you can uh, handle yourself on race day. So, um, th- th- there's a lot of free speed to be gained just by improving your, your bike handling skills, your confidence on the bike, your, your, your confidence and balance, grabbing things while you're riding. Um, and, and just practice that on those outdoor sessions and uh, on race day, it's going to pay off. I guarantee it. Fast is smooth and smooth is fast. That is absolutely right, sir. That is absolutely right. Uh, tip number five. We just talked a little bit about riding outside, uh, but but let's let's take it inside, John. What's tip number five? Get a trainer. So the trainer is um, perhaps the most efficient way to get in your bike training. It's uh, just logistically easy. It's, it's practical. Uh, there are fewer things you have to do to pop on your trainer than to go out on a road ride. So it's efficient with your time, and it really provides for a very efficient session. So. Uh, you're not having to worry about things like changing flats and descending hills and that sort of thing. Uh, you can simply follow your training, knock out your session with a, a very high level of, of, again, of efficiency and, and accuracy when you're not having to worry about uh, intersections and, and cars and that sort of thing out on the road. So it allows you really just to focus on getting the session done, getting it knocked out. It's going to be a high quality session and it's going to be efficient with the time. So smart trainers are great. They seem to be, um, somewhat the norm now, definitely increasing, um, in, in proliferation, but there's nothing wrong with the traditional fluid trainers, um, as well. Dumb trainers. They're not dumb trainers, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Just because something else is smart doesn't mean that the others are dumb. Um, so I, I am an advocate for, for the fluid trainers out there. Uh, I think they're getting a bad rap. So if someone's going to use a fluid trainer in, in their training, they, they don't have the, the budget perhaps for a smart trainer, uh, but they, they are hearing us and saying, okay, I'll, I'll do some of my training indoors. There's a lot of benefit there. Um, what, what else do they need to, to really execute the session well inside on a fluid trainer? So uh, again, the power meter is going to be that primary metric that, that will best um follow that training uh but heart rate is okay. is uh, is still um adequate there there are those limitations of heart rate it's going to take longer to to reach those desired zones there's going to be um more uh kind of wiggle room to know exactly what that that gear should be what that intensity level should be as they wait on the heart rate uh to settle in and truly represent that intensity level whereas the power meter is going to provide that feedback almost instantly you're going to know exactly um what intensity you're at with that immediate power uh feedback from the from the power meter tip number six wear enough clothing learn how to layer for whatever the weather conditions are outside this is much more of a comfort thing um, but, but it can also affect your, your training execution when you're on an outdoor ride. Um, I, I always make the mistake every time the temperatures start dipping a little bit in, in the late fall, early winter, I always make the mistake one time, uh, and I do it on one bike ride and one run outside when it starts getting chilly. I always reach for the, the, the long running tights and the long, uh, cycling you know, bib, bib pants a little too soon. And, and I'll go for one ride outside where it's not quite cold enough for it. And I end up overheating really quick. Uh, but because of it, and, and so really learn w- what is the temperature where you realistically need that kind of stuff, uh, where you need to layer appropriately. Um, you can get a great quality training session in outdoors uh, if, if if you're layered the right way. And then on, on the other side, um, know, know when it's really hot. Know uh, what what clothing and apparel you need to reach for to help keep yourself cool uh, and, and mitigate the, uh, the the chances of you overheating, the odds of you overheating. There's some things you can do to uh, to thwart that. 
Um, and, and so really get good at, at for those outdoor rides we've talked about, they, they can be key to practicing your arrow position. They can be key to, to dialing in those handling skills. Um, so, so layering appropriately for those outdoor rides can go a long way to you being more comfortable, uh, executing those sessions outdoors. I, I bet Matt's threshold up in New Jersey is, is much <laughs> different than my Texas threshold on when to break out the cold weather gear. Definitely. And I usually have the opposite problem as you, Andrew, where you, you mentioned that you bring out the tights too soon. Yeah. I often do the opposite where I, I go out there and I, I have a, a bad experience where I don't dress warmly enough and especially on the bike because you're moving you know, pretty quickly. So it's yes. easy to get cold, and that's especially up in point. the Northeast where I am. So when it hits, you know, 60 something degrees or 50 something degrees and you're not in tights or something, then, you know, you're, you're starting to flirt with some pretty chilly temperatures when yeah. you're on a bike, you know? So in the fall is definitely the, the point where, uh, when it hits around 50 something degrees and it's different actually, depending on whether you come in, in and out, in or out of winter, right. Or in and out of summer versus winter. You know what I mean? So if, it, if you're accustomed to the cold and you're coming out of Very true. winter, then for me, if once it hits 50, I'm, I feel like, wow, it is balmy out here. And I'm yeah. pulling on the shorts <laughs> and the t-shirts. And I'm, But in the fall, 50 starts feeling a little 50 chilly. 50 feels brisk. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then I've got the tights on. <laughs> All right. Moving on to bike training tip number seven. John Mayfield, what do we have here? Care for your bike. Uh, so what did we say earlier? Smooth is fast and fast is smooth. A clean bike is a happy bike. Well, I was going to say a clean bike is a fast bike, uh, kind of along those same, <laughs> it applies there too, same yeah. lines. So uh, yeah, be a good mechanic. Um, take care of your bike. Be efficient in that yourself. It's it's great to uh, drop off the bike periodically to your local mechanic for for the full uh, tune-up, but it's it's also important and, and really easy to, to do the basics yourself. The most important thing is a clean chain. Um, it's super easy to do just a basic degreaser. I use simple green. You can get it anywhere. Um, spray it on a towel, wipe your chain down and then re-lube it. It takes like two minutes and keeps your bike fast, quiet. That's one thing that uh, drives me crazy. If I'm ever around a cyclist and their bike is squeaking, I absolutely just drives me nuts. You need to not join me then for an indoor bike training session. Cause I need to do this with my chain and you have need it. to fix your stuff. Yep. That's I what, sure do. That's what needs to happen. But, but hey, yeah. John, don't you need to fix your stuff too? What about that Man. head tube? <laughs> So granted it going back to training on a trainer, my poor bike <laughs> just true. sits under me sweating for hours and hours yeah. and hours and on it has for years. Yeah. You don't need to turn on the trainer. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I will, well, I'll save that one for another episode, but, but yes, I, my clean, I do have a clean chain. And, and to this point, I, I've started myself just over the years, like slowly picking up the, the different mechanic tools and, and learning how to do some of those simple mm -hmm. things because it is good to keep your bike in good working order. It's a little bit of a hassle sometimes to take it to the bike shop, you know, all all the time. And so the, the more changing a flat that we talked about earlier, the the more things like uh, learning how to take care of your chain and, and clean it off. If your if your chain's talking to you, if your chain's making noise. You need to do something about it. That that's the indicator, right? Should be seen and not heard. Yeah, yeah. should be seen and not uh, heard. And along those lines, one of my I love part tools. Uh, a lot of them are are pretty cheap. So like that's even like one of my holiday things. If if I know somebody who wants mm. to buy me like a ten dollar gift, buy me a part tools. Uh, I don't care what it is, just whatever. I'll put it to use or just throw it in the collection. Um, so yeah, I love part tools. There's there's not a whole lot of bike specific tools. Parks is like the kind of the main one, but they've got some really cool stuff and they really make doing those things much easier. There's certain things you just absolutely cannot do unless you have the right tool. And like so many projects and that sort of thing, having the right tool makes it so much easier. That's, that's absolutely true. Yep. Uh, moving us to bike training tip number eight. Matt Bach, what do we have here? 
Shave down for race days. Shave it down. So there's like a famous article where Jesse Thomas, uh, I think it was a triathlete magazine article, and Jesse Thomas had gone to the wind tunnel. Uh, He's a pro triathlete for anybody who is... The specialized wind tunnel. The specialized wind tunnel, yep. The (laughs) wind tunnel, not the wind tunnel. It's the wind tunnel. (laughs) Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) So he went to the wind tunnel, and uh, they just kind of, it wasn't really in the plan, but they decided to do uh, a test where he was very hairy, and he hopped on the bike and... They measured everything, his, his coefficient of you know aerodynamics and all that. And then he um, hopped off the bike, shaved, and went back on there. And apples to apples, the only thing that changed was that he shaved, and he saved a whole bunch of watts. I think it was something like eight watts or something, just from shaving. Yeah. So that kind of like opened the world. Free watts. Yeah, free watts. I mean, every, every triathlete wanted to shave down. Well, not every triathlete, but a lot of triathletes wanted to shave down. Anybody who read that article... Um, and so a lot of people started doing that and, and I found that it really is, it really does matter. So every time I'm doing a race, the same way that swimmers do, you know, with shaving down, um, there's drag that comes from the hair on your legs and even the hair on your arms. And so if you shave down, you're going to save yourself a bunch of, uh, a bunch of time, uh, when you're, when you're racing. So I'll, I'll shave down into a races and some of my B races. If it's a C race, just kind of a training ride or training race, you know, so to speak, then I usually won't shave down for that. But, uh, once it hits the B and A races where the, the results matter for me, then I'm definitely shaving down. I, I'm, I'm glad to have you bring this up, uh, and, and have you speak to your personal experience on, on why it matters so much to you on race day. Uh, Cause our athletes have heard John and I talk about this many times. Uh, what, what my policy is going to be, uh, my, my, my wife doesn't love the idea of me doing it every single time. My personal policy will be, uh, I'll do it for Ironman full distance. Cause the time savings there is enormous. And I'll do it for 70.3s where I have a legitimate chance of PRing. And if, if I can't PR, what, what are those three minutes? Uh, and so that, that's my personal policy. That line's going to be different for everybody. Uh, if you're type A and you want to do the best you can every single time, this is free time. It's free watts. There's no reason not to do it. Um, and, and my so, wife loves it when I shave my legs. Does she? She likes the smooth legs. Yeah, it's kind of, right. I don't know if that's weird or not. Maybe that's a question for one of these uh, future polls you could ask. How, how do you feel she's going to feel about our podcast audience knowing that about her? she'll be fine with that <laughs> she's used to it <laughs> yeah my wife likes it too she she even advocated for it like even before i was a triathlete really so, yeah interesting it yeah. also feels amazing in the sheets shaved <laughs> legs i mean women they've got it good when i mean they're sleeping know, in the, the sheets sleeping yeah. in the sheets it feels right right yeah. yes just to just to clarify there <laughs> what our intentions are um okay i'm gonna move us on to tip number nine here um uh, and it's kind of uh, along the same lines we're talking aerodynamics we're talking about things that can give you free speed uh, without without having to, to earn it yeah, through, through better fitness. And it's there's no denying, same thing, in the wind tunnel, it's it's proven on everybody, sleeved kits are faster than non-sleeved kits. Um, and and we had a podcast episode with Jesse Frank from Specialized. Uh, he's an engineer for, for their wind tunnel that we were just talking about. What he taught us on that episode was that a cylinder is the least aerodynamic shape imaginable. And as humans, what are we? We are cylinders. Our heads are round, our arms are round, our legs are round, everything about us is round. And so that is the least aerodynamic shape. And so the more skin you can cover, the more of that round shape you can cover with aerodynamic material, the better. And so just, you know, those, when you're in that aero tuck, you've practiced that position, you're used to holding it, you're ready to hold it. And having that material coming down your arm on race day is, is free speed when you're out there on the course. So, uh, we, we, we definitely recommend it. Uh, we, we've got some great, really snazzy looking tri-dot kits on the tri-dot store. Um, I, I get along with it very, very well. So that's what I'll be using on race day. Uh, but what, whatever kit you're looking at, um, it, it's just free speed to go with the, the full length kit. 
Yeah, and I'll just add one thing that uh, with the sleeve kits, they are faster for sure. And I, I will always race in a sleeve kit now if it matters. But um, one thing to pay attention to though is it's only faster if it doesn't have a lot of wrinkling. You yes. gotta make sure it fits really Great well. Great point. Gotta Great make addition. sure it fits really well around the shoulder and the arm and, and that it's tight enough on your body that it, it actually is faster for you. So one yep. thing to look out yep. for. Great another, point. another benefit for me uh, is is I don't handle the sun well. So I, I appreciate that aspect that it, it hides more skin uh, from the sun. So it keeps, it helps with cooling, uh, sunburn, even skin cancer that, that we run a risk of the amount of time we spend out on the road. So multiple benefits, uh, in addition to just being faster. John, while you're talking to us, why don't you move us on into tip number 10? Number 10. We've talked about this before. seems like every, uh, bike focused podcast talks about getting a power meter. If you don't have, I one. mean, they're just great. They are. We, uh, love we, mentioned data. It. we love the data, John. We, we mentioned it earlier. Um, it, it really helps produce a, a high quality session. It provides immediate feedback. Uh, when our sessions are prescribing certain periods of, of intensity for specific periods of time, it really allows us to dial in that exact intensity level and provides that immediate feedback. So the alternative and what was used prior to the, to, um, commonplace power meters was we went on heart rate, but there are several limitations to that. It takes time to truly reflect the intensity level. There are multiple things that can influence heart rate. Um, so it's, it's a good metric, but, but power is, is definitely a better metric. Uh, it's, it's very advantageous on race day, especially paired with race X to know exactly what wattage you should be holding for any segment of the course to produce your best overall time. So, uh, that's one of those things as, as soon as the budget allows, I, I would, I would put very few upgrades in front of the power meter. In fact, that may be my number one um, up there, right with a bike fit. Bike fit, power meter, one, two, get those. Yep, that's great. Um, so that, that closes out tip number 10. Um, and so I, I want to point out, we are halfway through our 20 bike training tips. Um, how do you think people would feel if I just inserted about 30 seconds of the sound of a bike freewheeling as our intermission of this main set? For it? Against it? Yay? Nay? Nay. Fine, Matt, we'll move on. Uh, tip number 11, Matt, why don't you give it to us? So don't be a stomper. That's my next tip. So learn to pedal all the way around and practice it during training, especially when you're doing something like single leg drill, drills. Uh, you'll get better at smoothing out the circle. And you're, I mean, one thing to note, like you're, no matter how much you smooth out that circle, you're always going to be more powerful on the downstroke. You're yes. gonna, when you're engaging those quads, you're pressing down, you're working with gravity. Uh, you're going to be more powerful there, and you always you, will. You can put your weight into it a little bit, your your own body right, weight. Right, and, but you, you don't want to just be a stomper and rely only on that part of the pedal stroke in order to generate the power to move yourself forward. So you want to even it out a bit more and focus on engaging all the way around the circle so that there's as, uh, as little loss as possible. You want to be nice and efficient. That's that's the main thing, really, just rounding it out, being being more efficient with the pedal stroke. Yep, and, and single leg drills are, are great for uh, just just kind of kind of going through those one mm -hmm. leg at a time and identifying in your pedal stroke. Okay, am I pulling up really smoothly? What, mm -hmm. what is my form like in making that circle? And, and and this is something that that any of my friends when they're starting out in triathlon or any of the juniors that join our junior team that that I help uh, coach, one of the first things we tell them is is move, pick up those clipless pedals and, and some actual cycling shoes as soon as you mm -hmm. can. Uh, I did my first two triathlons without that. Um, I, I just had the, the, the normal platform pedals for my first try. I had the little like kind of like bird cage looking looking mm -hmm. toe clip thing for yeah. my second one. Toe cages, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and for my it was my third triathlon that I finally sprung for 
the, the actual clipples, pedals, and, and shoes. And it, it makes just a huge difference because you're able to generate power through the entire circle of the pedal stroke instead of just on, on the, the downstroke. And, and so, and so, yeah, absolutely. If you're out there and you're listening and you haven't made an investment yet, um, there, there are some great cost-efficient pedals out there. Uh, it doesn't have to be expensive, but it's really going to revolutionize your ability to produce power um, all the way through that stroke. Yeah. And it's a little scary at first with the clipless pedals. But it is. And we all, we <laughs> you all get fall. Used to it you will fall. Enough, though. You will fall. You will fall. I've fallen once. many times at, at <laughs> stoplights. <laughs> Just something to follow up on the pedal stroke. One thing I see, and it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, is throughout that pedal stroke, your foot should maintain relatively flat. Uh, what I see a lot of times is athletes will have a very high angle from, from toe to heel. I refer to it as twinkle toes. It's almost looking like a ballerina. And what that's going to do is over activate the calf, which is going to lead to oftentimes cramping later on. So if you're off on the run and your calves are cramping, uh, there's a chance you may be over utilizing, over engaging those, um, with, with that elevated heel in the back. So, um, it should look and feel relatively flat. It shouldn't exceed about 20 degrees, which I know is hard to, to kind of see in, in real time, but, um, watch for that as you can, but maybe even ask the, the, the person riding next to you, if you're out on a group ride, Hey, what, what do my, my heels look like? Am I, do I look like I'm twinkle toes or is it relatively flat? And kind of think about that. It's heels down driving um, through the heels. Yeah. As, as Matt mentioned in that pedal stroke, uh, especially on, on the back, I thought I was thinking about wiping your feet. Like you've got mud on your shoes and you're wiping the mud off. That's how that bottom of the pedal stroke should feel. And throughout that, your, your foot should be practically flat through there. But even then, as you complete that stroke, uh, throughout that pedal cycle, it should remain relatively level uh, without big swings of, of up and down. Yep, that's one of the things that a, a bike fitter might measure as you're doing that is they might look at that heel. So it's a good point. You want to keep that you know fairly stable. I think uh, I could do a better job of that. I tend to be maybe a, a halfway at twi- twinkle toes. All right, Matt Bach, what is bike training tip number 12? Plan out your route. This is one of my favorite things to do is with it? my long bike rides. Yeah, okay. I love this stuff. The, the exploration. And so if you're going out for maybe a 50 mile ride and you do, you have a lot of those on your on your schedule, then there's only so much you can explore if you're just leaving from your house every time. But I love it when there's a ride on the calendar that's 100 miles, 110 miles, because it gives me a chance to just explore something that I've never explored before, especially because where I am in New Jersey, I'm fairly close to New York City. So yeah. if I go anywhere east or if I go anywhere sort of near my house, there's it's still suburban. And there's a good amount of houses and things. And there's some great roads, but the roads get even better and more rural and more secluded and isolated if I go further out southwest away from New York City. And so the, when I have these big, long, 100-plus mile rides, I get the chance to, to do that. Or even better is I love doing a, a ride where I go from New Jersey up to Connecticut, which is actually where my parents live. Okay. So I'll do a one-way route all the way up there. My wife uh, graciously drives the car up um, so that I, I don't have to ride back as well because it's about a 100-mile ride. And so I'll ride one way up there. Uh, but I got, I got to tell one, one quick story here. It's uh, when I was um, 2015, I think it was, okay. I was going up, maybe it was a little earlier than that, actually. I was doing a, a one-way ride up to Connecticut because I was going to go for a bachelor party. Okay. Now, awful, so awful you, idea. So you I wanted to ride up, to the bachelor party, naturally, like any bachelor party attendant typically does. Of course, right? Got up, <laughs> uh, I was riding up there, and once I got to Nyack in New York, I hit a pothole. I was by myself. It was still basically dark out. It was like, you know, just before 6am and I hit a pothole crashed, just there's blood everywhere, road rash, like crazy. I get up though and my bike's okay. And I'm feeling okay. I'm just a little shaken up and I got blood everywhere. The, but the bike like, being okay is the key component here. Of course. Of course. Of yeah. course. I had to mention that I mean, yeah. after the crash, people were like, is the bike okay? Like, yes, well, it is. I'm okay yeah. too. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I hop back on the bike. I'm like, all right, I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue this ride back up to Connecticut. So I need something to patch up these, these bloody elbows. 
So let me see if I can find maybe a cop along the road or a, a gas station or something that maybe has a first aid kit and I can just ask for a few bandages to patch it up and then be on my way. And I couldn't find anything except for this one convenience store that I went into and the guy looks at me and he just wants nothing to do with me. I had, you know, I'm like a cyclist, <laughs> like walking, I got blood all over the place. He's like, yeah, you just, no, I don't have a first aid kit. My bathroom's out of order. What, like what like, if it wasn't even that? What if he wanted nothing to do with you because he's just saw a guy in bright skin, skin tight Lycra and wanted nothing to do with it? Maybe he was shocked at my amazing <laughs> physique. <laughs> so uh, he looks at me, doesn't want anything to do with me. The people that are in the convenience store though say, oh, there's a hospital down the road. So I hop back on my bike. I ride over to the hospital. I go to the ER. Uh, they, they want to admit me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Can, can I just, and I'm, I'm like wheeling my bike through the hospital by the way and I'm, and I'm bleeding all over the place so I asked them hey is it okay if I just use your sink and some soap and water to clean up and um, maybe some bandages like can you just give me some bandages or something I'll do it myself I don't care so they actually let me do that I'm interesting in, I'm in the hospital yeah it's kind of shocking right yeah I mean liabilities I don't know it's something that would have prevented they, they probably also think. just at that point wanted nothing to do with you so what can, what can yeah. we do to get this guy out of here <laughs> so I wheel my bike over to this side room that they send me to with a, with a sink and I'm, I'm washing myself up with soap and water all these nurses are walking by and peeking in the room like what is this guy doing and they gave me a little stack of bandages and so I, I patched myself up and I hop back on the bike and I'm on my way so I rode all the way up almost all the way up to uh, my parents house but then my dad ended up hopping in the car and picking me up at mile like 76 or something okay uh, so I wasn't quite there, but picks me up and he's like, Matt, just you're, you're being an idiot. Just get in the car. <laughs> so. so because of that, uh, a couple of things that uh, are, are um, great aids. Uh, I have live 360 on my phone. A lot of people do these days, whether they're cyclists or not. A lot of people just kind of keep track of their family. That's my primary use is, you know, I want to know where my kids are. I pull up live 360. Uh, so it works great. I always and take I know my some phone. Some folks use uh, Strava Beacon or, or now Garmin, I think, has a subscription where you can track a rider with with Garmin. Yeah, so any of those that that provide real time tracking are, are great. Uh, I always take my phone with me just in case for those those types of scenarios. Matt, Matt's uh, wife could have mm-hmm. could have pulled him up on Live three sixty and saw. Oh, he's at the hospital. He's at the hospital <laughs> <laughs> and panicked a little bit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, road ID in case there there are times where you know had Matt uh, hit his head, he could have mm-hmm. been knocked unconscious. It's great to have that uh, both for names, phone numbers, uh, contacts, medical issues, yeah. anything like that. So important to have. Um, and then also far as planning the routes go, uh, there's most of the GPS watches, uh, computers now have that map functionality where you can load those maps. It'll give you turn by turn directions. Uh, so, so those can be great to help keep you, uh, on course. Yep. No, all, all good stuff. And, and I'll, I'll move us on to tip number 13. Uh, and it also, I'm reminded of this tip, um, just thinking about falling and wrecking and crashing and things that can go wrong. Uh, I obviously when we race as triathletes, uh, I don't think a majority of us don't take the time to put on cycling gloves before we go out and cycle. And, and so the, the habit becomes, well, I don't, I don't race that way. So why would I train that way? Uh, but there actually is tangible benefit to training with cycling gloves on. And, and for a while I was kind of snobbish and like, Oh no, I'm a triathlete. I don't use gloves. Uh, but, but just over time, like I, I would come in from rides and, and my hands would just be a little sore and it's like, just get off your high horse, you know, put, put the $25 gloves on. Uh, it's just going to increase your comfort on those long training rides. If you were to fall, off your bike, it's going to help your hands not get all, all skinned up and scraped up, which could affect a future race. Um, so it's just a, an extra added measure of safety. Uh, just, just putting on a pair of gloves, uh, but because it, it can, um, help in a lot of ways. Coach John Mayfield, what is bicycle training tip number 14? Learn group ride etiquette. So, uh, triathletes are notorious for showing up to group rides and just ruining things, um, and, and riding dangerously, not following the rules, not being aware of the rules, just being kind of, 
uh, kind of naive to what's going on. Um, and you know, lots of great triathletes ride with lots of great groups, but, uh, we, we certainly do, uh, raise some eyebrows if we show up to a group ride where it's vast majority are, are roadies. Um, so it's important there to, to kind of be a good representative. Um, yeah. and also it's, it's very much a safety thing to make sure, um, especially each individual group, cause every group can have little different nuances, can do things a little bit different. And if you do one thing, according to the group you used to ride with and they do things differently, that may be two cyclists ending up at the same place at the same time, which has a bad result. So, um, learn kind of those rules of, of riding in a group. Um, and then especially if there's anything specific to a group, find out how they do things and, and be sure to conform. So, um, a lot of group rides won't allow the athletes to, to ride in the aero bars. So you may show up with your tri bike, you may be spending the whole ride up on your, your bullhorns on the base bar. Um, and of course, if, if that's the rules, then you want to follow the yeah, rules. Yeah. And be respectful. Uh, and then everything it, it, sh- it should go without saying, but it doesn't, uh, follow the traffic laws. Um, there are uh, kind of same thing. We often get judged. Uh, the majority get judged by the few. Um, I see bad cyclists out there running red lights, stoplights, doing dumb things, cutting across traffic. Uh, it's dangerous. It's life threatening. Um, I think it's one of those things like, I, I wonder how many times those people have crashed. Uh, like Matt yeah. shared his story of crashing. I, I've crashed a couple times and like it, it changes you. It shakes you. Yeah. And it's hard to get back on the road after that. Um, and it's, it's almost like, I wonder, have they experienced that? And, um, I, I think probably I, I was a little more fast and loose, uh, back in the beginning and before you uh, crashed, right. Yeah. You learn that lesson. You grow up real quick and B- BC uh, before crashing or, or, you know, uh, you have that close encounter with a car, uh, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that, that can happen. Um, and it does. I mean, we see this all the time with, with accidents, fatalities, that sort of thing. Um, we love what we do, but, but it's dangerous. Um, so we need to do whatever we can, uh, to, to minimize those risks and maximize our opportunities to make sure we get it back home safe. Yeah. And so along those lines, bike training tip number 15 is, is safety. Just, just be aware of your surroundings and, and, uh, Rachel Maney from bike law, uh, when she was on talking about bicycle safety, one of the things that she really likes to do when you're at a red light and you're next to a, a, a car, um, wave, like, like be, be, be friendly. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, you know, like humanize yourself, humanize the, the, the world of cyclists to the motor vehicle operators around you. Um, you know, so, so be aware of drivers, be aware of what those cars around you are doing. Uh, be, be aware of pedestrians and where they are and, and do they look like they're about to cross the street in front of you or do they, or do they not be aware of pets on or off leashes? Uh, and, and, and just be aware I, I've, I've ridden on so many group rides where you can just tell there's, there's one guy with just his head in the clouds and, and you just got to watch him the whole time and, and you're on edge a little bit. And, and so just, just be a good citizen of the road, be a good uh, rule follower of the road, uh, be, be aware of parked cars, um, I, obviously the, the term is getting doored, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're riding along and all of a sudden somebody op- opens a door cause they parallel parked on a, on a street, um, you know, be, be tentative around that. That's a real good way to get yourself hurt. Uh, and you can just av- avoid it by just being aware of where those parked cars are. Is there somebody in that parked car that looks like they're about to open the door? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never it, heard that phrase before, but I've, I've been in a situation where I've almost gotten doored yeah. many times. It's going to be major damage really to you and major damage to the car. Oh, so yeah. it's, you don't want to do it. Let's move us on to bike training tip number 16. Yep. Handle the hills properly. Mm. So, and what I mean by that is when you're riding up a hill, a lot of triathletes, a lot of cyclists in general tend to follow this pattern where they see the hill, 
they hammer up the hill. Then when they're getting to the top, they go, oh, I made it to the top. And then they let off the gas. I, I, I sure do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did that for the first several years until I really, I spoke with the, uh, this fellow triathlete. His name is Tim Smith. He's a really fast triathlete. Um, he was living in New York City at the time and I was riding with him and he, I mean, he, he rode uh, Ironman Texas in like 438 or something on the bike. I mean, he was top amateur. He's, he's a really, really fast triathlete. And he gave me this tip. He said, all right, when you're, when you're going up the hills, you want to stay fairly steady when you're going up the hill. Maybe your wattage is going to increase a little bit. Maybe it's 20 watts or something, but you're not going to hammer up the hill. You're just going to fairly steadily climb the hill. And then when you're getting towards the top, if you're going to burn a match, you burn it at the top. So you don't hammer up the hill and then go, ah, okay, I'm good. And then you ease off. You go towards the top and just as you're cresting the hill is when you burn the match or when you, when you kind of make sure that you keep that, that um, power going into the bike. And shift those gears and get the momentum back. Because if you get the momentum back, the faster you get the momentum back, then on the way down, mm. if it's really steep, then you can let off the gas yeah. or uh, bring the power power outage, uh, the power, the wattage down a little bit. Um, but the overall speed that you're going to get from that pattern yeah. of cresting strong, that overall speed is going to be faster for the same watts that you're putting out. Yeah, cresting strong. I, I really mm -hmm. like that term and kind of that mindset of getting over that 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 crest with strong legs. You know, go go through your pedal stroke a few more strokes to get going downhill mm -hmm. before relaxing a little bit and, and letting your legs re recoup from the effort. That that's really really great because that's for one hill. Maybe it, it makes a couple seconds difference, but over the course of mm -hmm. uh, an Olympic, over the course of, of a half, over the course of an Ironman, mm -hmm. um, man, you're 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 talking some big time savings just by executing those few moments in the course properly. Uh, Coach John Mayfield, bike training tip number 17. Somewhat along those same lines, use your gears. Uh, this is something we see quite often with uh, beginners is they'll tend to just ride at whatever wattage or whatever cadence their their particular gear they're in dictates. Um, so it's it's being efficient, knowing when to use those gears, uh, not just the gears, but your chain ring as well. Um, I know something I used to do is this big ego. I'm not going to shift to that small chain ring. I'm going to ride my biggest cog in the back. And so I can just stay on my big chain ring. But then you get uh, you have drivetrain loss. It's, it would be more efficient. You would go faster for the same wattage if you kept your chain straight. Um, and, and utilize that, that small ring. So, yeah. um, utilize the gears, utilize your chain rings, utilize what the equipment you have on your bike. Um, so just be efficient there. And a lot of that has to do with cadence. And I've, I've talked about this before on, on several other podcasts, um, vary your cadence, be, be efficient in, in riding at 70, 80, 90, maybe even a hundred RPM, um, because there are scenarios where you may need to ride at all of those. We talk about and things like stroke rate in the swim. Different swim conditions are going to dictate different stroke rates. So it's important to be able to do all of those. Uh, different course conditions, different um, environmental weather conditions are going to dictate different cadences. So you need to be efficient in riding at various cadences. And then you can also find your optimum cadence. We've talked about that as well. So uh, for most people, it's somewhere in the 80 to 90, give or take range, um, where you are maximizing your output and your wattage with a minimal input. So it's kind of that balance of, of your wattage and your heart rate. Um, that's how I tend to look at it is if I am at a power of X, if I increase my cadence, what is what happens to my heart rate? If I lower my cadence, what happens to my heart rate? And from there, what I'm looking to do is what cadence am I at where I can hold the highest wattage at the lowest heart rate? Matt Bach, what is, uh, there, there's three three left. Uh, so I'll have Matt do one, I'll have John do one, and then I'll I'll do one more. So what what is bike training tip number 18? Got to say strength training. Mm. Uh, strength training can be key. In 2013, I started doing a religiously doing strength training 
and not for the purpose of making my cycling stronger. I actually was doing it to prevent running injuries. I had some chronic Achilles and knee problems and I was trying to cure those and move forward as a, as a healthier runner. So I started doing a lot of strength training, single leg deadlifts, single leg squats, and, um, using the band for the, you know, crab walks and things like that, uh, with a physical therapist who was guiding me. And I had a lot of success in helping, um, the, the injuries for running, but it had a secondary benefit that I didn't even really anticipate, which was that my cycling became stronger. Wow. And I started doing my strength training off the bike sometimes too, where I do a hard bike session. And then 15 minutes later, I'd be doing a strength session for about 30 minutes. And so there's a short turnaround after the bike session to the strength. And I found that my running got even better, like not just being injury free, but my running actually got better as well because I was doing the biking, then the strength off the bike. So my form just became better and better. My strength became better better for both the run and the bike. So strength training can definitely have a critical impact on, on all of it. Yeah, that's great. And obviously the, the, the muscles we're using in our legs, um, and, and our glutes, and it's all those big, mm-hmm. uh, leg muscles that you're using on the bike. And, and so strengthening those up, uh, I imagine even unintentionally you were strengthening it for a different purpose, mm-hmm. but those big muscle groups getting stronger, uh, go a long way uh, on the bike. So that, that really makes sense. Mm-hmm. Let's just tap into those muscles a little bit more effectively. Uh, John tip number 19, what do we got? So it was, it was basically our number one tip from our uh, swim tip episode, uh, but we're going back to doing the right training right. We got to say it. We do. Yeah, we got to say it. So um, that's, that's why we, we do what we do with, with Intradot, optimize the training to produce each individual athlete's best possible results. So um, following the training as, as closely as possible and executing um, as best you can is, is, is doing the right training right. So... Uh, that's the, the beauty of it. It's, it's fairly simple. You know exactly what your training is for any given day. Uh, and, and the better you can follow that training, execute as planned, uh, you're going to see those results. And we see that consistently. Um, I've been training with TriDot, uh, for better than a decade now, and I've continually year over year continued to make gains. I started in my early thirties here. I'm I'm in my early forties now and I'm stronger, faster, uh, more fit than I was in my early thirties. And so, uh, just testament to the effectiveness of it. Um, I've never had an injury that has kept me out for, um, any prolonged period of time. So when we say better results in less time with less injury, I'm, I'm a, a walking, uh, case of it. So, uh, doing the right training, right. Is going to, um, again, allow you to produce your best results and, and be very efficient with your time. Tip number 20 to close out our main set today. I'm going to say this one and it's keep your bum happy. Listen, it's, it's, I'm joking, but I mean it. Um, you, when you're on, when you're biking, whether it's indoors, whether it's outdoors, whatever, however you're getting your training in, you are sitting on your bum on a crazy, ridiculously looking saddle. Uh, my, my in-laws are, are not athletes. Uh, they're very supportive of my, my triathlon hobby, but my father-in-law saw my bike on my indoor trainer and he pointed the, he points to the saddle and was like, that's what you sit on. It's like, yes, <laughs> that is what I sit on. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and so, and so listen, find the right saddle for you. Um, you know, take, take the time. A lot of bike fitters will help you with that and they'll, they'll kind of map the, the actual pressure points on your sit bones and, and kind of help you dial in what saddle might be a good match for you. Uh, I personally kind of did it trial and error. I, I, I would buy one. I, I would try it for a few rides and then return it, uh, within its return policy. If, if I, if it's still a time left, if not, I would sell it on eBay and move on to another one. And I did that with several saddles before finding one that, that I've 
kind of settled on, uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, so, so, so don't, don't be afraid to mix that up a little bit and, and try some things to, to find what's going to make your bum happy for, for whatever duration it is that you're going to be racing. Um, things that can help with that is obviously the bike fit, but also the, 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 the chamois creams, um, you know, don't be afraid to lube it up. I mean, be, be real, real generous with, with the amount that, that, that you use. I personally, I, I, am not a big fan of the cream creams. Some people love those. I use like the, um, the, the body glide, uh, kind of deodorant stick style that just kind of, kind of deodorant, you know, yourself down there and, and, uh, but, but make sure you're using something just to kind of help with the friction, uh, down there on your rides, whether it's one hour, whether it's a stamina session it can go a long way to, to keeping everything kosher down there. Um, and, and then also, um, don't, don't be afraid to, to try a couple different bib short chamois thicknesses. You know, the, there's some people like the really thick, cushy, uh, padded ones. Some people like the thinner kind of more tri style ones. Find what makes your butt happy and stick with it is, is, is basically the tip here. Any, anything to add guys on keeping your bum happy? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, we started the podcast with bikes, make people happy and, and happy bums make people happy. So <laughs> well said, there you go. <laughs> Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. A few weeks ago on episode 94 of the podcast, we had a really fun warm-up question that asked, has triathlon ever made its way into your dreams at night? I talked about dreaming of the escape from Alcatraz swim course. John Mayfield talked about his dreams of the Ironman tracker app misbehaving on race day. And pro triathlete Elizabeth James said her tri dreams usually consist of things going wrong in a race. We threw this question out to you, the Tridot Podcast family, and you all had some great responses to this question. I've asked each of the guys today to, to pick one or two of the responses that they particularly enjoyed, and we're going to share them right here and right now. But, but before we do, Matt Bach, you were not on that episode. John and I were. Have you ever had a triathlon dream while asleep at night? No. Really? Never dreams, always nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of the people that I read the comments for, they are in the same camp. The nightmares, the anxiety. I mean, yeah. I, so many times, I mean, typically they have to do with me showing up to a start line late and missing the race and maybe even running past the people who are standing in live, maybe waiting for their, their wave start to go. But my wave already went and I'm running past them, trying to catch up to the people who are in my wave. Like that's definitely a common reoccurrence. Uh, another one is in transition. I get to transition after the swim or the bike, and I can't find the stuff that I need. Yeah. Like my helmet's gone. Like, yeah, yeah, where's yeah. my helmet? I can't race without the helmet. No. And then I'm like, you know, trying to find my wife, and I'm I'm asking her if she can go get the helmet from the hotel, and I'm like, in the middle of transition, and my time is still clicking, and and here I am trying to find my helmet. I'm like getting this sen sense of anxiety arising in that. Just <laughs> I'm sharing. starting to sweat. Just, <laughs> just sharing about these. Um, all right, so uh, let, let's kind of go through a, a few of the the audience responses that that we really liked. Um, John, what what was the one that really stood out to you? Lots of good ones. My favorite was Andy Wegner. Um, hers was actually not a, a dream so much. Hers was actually having a dream in the middle of a race. So I, I saw that and I was what? like, this definitely needs to be explored. So uh, it happened in the Triple Anvil race in 2018. Uh, she says, I was about 40 miles into the run and was absolutely delirious. So this is not your typical triathlon. This is this is one of those uh, ultra distance races. Okay. Um, painful from being awake and on my feet for about 43 hours straight. Jeez. Uh, my crew forced me to take a 30 minute nap to get my mind right again. It took me about 25 of those minutes for my body to feel like it wasn't moving any longer. Uh, kind of like the feeling you get after coming off a cruise ship. So Ooh, like sea legs. Uh, and in the five minutes of sleep that I actually got, I dreamed my dad was standing over me as I was laying down. He reached down his hand uh, to say, wake up, you got shit to do. 
I snapped out of the sleep, <laughs> rushed back down on the course and pounded out the last 38 miles faster than I did the first part of the run. I felt so much stronger and motivated after that. Yeah. What a did. story. That's fantastic. And, and, and how appropriate for, for the races that Ande does, uh, where she does a lot of the long distance, uh, ultra tries. So really, really cool there. I, I've never had a dream during a, uh, a triathlon. Well, most of us aren't yeah. sleeping. <laughs> most of us aren't napping during our triathlons to, to have the chance to do so. Uh, so, so mine uh, came from an athlete uh, named Mark, and this is what he said. He said, I dreamed that I had forgotten to leave my bike at transition, so I had to complete the swim leg, pulling my bike through the water behind me. It made for a tough swim. I've since stopped listening to triathlon podcasts the <laughs> night before a race. I loved that. Uh, I, obviously, we're all four people listening to triathlon podcasts, especially the Tried Out podcast. But but yes, I, I can imagine if you listen to too many episodes uh, the night before a race that, that or fall asleep listening to the episode. or fall asleep <laughs> listening to the episode, you, you you that definitely raises the odds that you will dream of triathlon and uh, and maybe even uh, uh, Andrew Harley makes an appearance in your mm. dream. Who knows? That'd be weird. Uh, Matt Bach, I uh, which which ones from the group really stood out to you? I had I had two that were really funny that okay. got me giggling. Karina so, uh, Marsili says often, and I'm usually frantically looking for the swim start, and then discover it is in a river hidden in the jungle and full of alligators. Talk uh, about a nightmare. So there, there's two <laughs> things there. Yeah, first of all, that is terrifying. And second of all, she uses the word usually. So it's it's like I mean she's she's indicating that she has had this dream multiple times. This very specific Ooh, detailed a nightmare multiple times. So that I thought was pretty. Pretty interesting. So then then, not only but she's she not have, always frantic. She's just usually, usually frantic. frantic. Sometimes she's like, oh, we're swimming <laughs> with the alligators again. <laughs> Good point. This one, huh? That course in the jungle with the alligators? Okay. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I guess the word could have been all, always, but it's usually. So, yeah, really, really interesting. So, uh, Jocelyn Noakes also was really funny. So, it, it was my goal to complete an, uh, an Ironman by my 50th birthday so I could hear the words, Jocelyn Noakes, you are an Ironman, as my birthday present. For months leading up to the race, I dreamt that the announcer didn't pronounce my name correctly, so I had to do the race again and again until he got it right. <laughs> I sure hope you pronounced her name right. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have to do this again. I know. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Matt Bach and John Mayfield for talking with us about bike training. Shout out to Precision Hydration for partnering with us on today's episode. Head to precisionhydration.com to learn how you sweat and to check out their hydration and fueling options. Use code TRYDOT10 for 10% off your purchase. Enjoying the podcast? Have any topics or questions you want to hear us talk about? Head to trydot.com slash podcast and let us know what you're thinking. We'll do it all again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TRYDOT podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training. <laughs>